taking a glimpse into Scripture and gleaning from it what I feel like God is sharing to me. And then I share that message with you, but God may have a different message with that same Scripture. And so as we search the Scriptures this morning, I challenge you to go back this afternoon as your homework and read, maybe reread, the stories that we go through today to see what God has to share with you. Let us pray this morning. Father God, I just praise you right now for you say, suffer the little children to come unto me. Lord, may we all be like little children and be drawn closer to you. Amen. It was my first year of ministry and I happened to be uh, a assistant guy's dean at a, at a boarding school. And uh, for those of you that don't know, you know, boarding schools are a different breed all unto their own. Now, I have to apologize a couple of things. Is normally, I don't, I don't really uh, use my sermons over and over again when I go. Because I have the privilege of obviously having eight constituent churches as the principal of CVCA. And I don't sit there and bounce around to all eight and preach the same sermon. Uh, usually I try to, I try to you know, see what God is saying. But I preached a sermon at, at series a couple of weeks ago. And I, it, it's similar, and so I apologize to my staff or anybody that happened to be at series uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, but I, I, you know, boarding school is one of those things that if, you, if you've had the opportunity to see or ever work at a boarding school, it is definitely something that is, that is uh, a blessing and a curse. Because these kids come from all walks of life, and I had the privilege of having 100 guys in my dorm. Our school at that time, we were around 280, 300, and just uh, 9 to 12. And, and we had 100 boys in a dorm. Now, if you know anything about guys, in the teenage years, sometimes our frontal lobe has not quite adjusted to, to life and hasn't caught up to the rest of us. And, and so, you know, whenever you put 100 of those types of people in a same building and then don't give them much to do, they will find something to do. <laughs> and so I had the privilege of being the dean, the assistant dean, and I remember, you know, the first, first month, first two months, just going through and trying to learn the ropes. And, and as the year went on, we had different run-ins, different happenings in the dorm, and it got close to spring. And in Washington State, spring is very, you know, it can come and go. It can snow and it can have sun. And so luckily it was nice outside, and, it, and part of the duties as the dean, if I was closing, it was about midnight, and I was walking around outside making sure everybody was quiet. That's the best way to do it. They have no clue you're there, and you can see if their light's on or if they're messing around or doing anything, so walk around. And we had a four-story dorm, and so I'm walking around quietly, just listening to the conversations going on in each of the rooms, having no clue that I'm out there. And I happened to hear some commotion up coming from a, a window, but I didn't pay attention to it because there I see my vice principal coming and walking towards me, a, a good friend of mine by then. And he comes up to me, he's like, you know, Benji, how are you doing? And I was like, John, I'm doing really well. Uh, life, is, life is going well. He's like, you're just, you know, checking out the guys. I was like, yeah, we're just sitting here talking. So we begin to chat for about 20 minutes. And out of the window sticks this body halfway out, and screams, hey guys, 
And it was one of my frequent flyers. His name was Adam. We call them frequent flyers because they're the ones that are always in trouble. Adam had a hard time staying in his room. He was a very, very social guy, very social butterfly, and he liked to bounce around. And he knew I always had to chase him down to go, go to your room. It's time to go to bed. And by now, it's 1 o'clock. This guy is sticking half his body out a window. Hey, guys. And it happened not only to be a window, because the, the screen's supposed to be on the window, so he had taken the screen off. Strike two, because <laughs> he's up. It was an RA's room. Our resident advisor, one of my staff, had let him in there. And as he sticks his body out the window, he's like, hey guys. And I'm like, Adam, go to bed. And I'm serious, but he doesn't get it. So he, all of a sudden he goes away, and he sticks his head back out the window. And he's got something in his hand. And I'm like, what is that in his hand? And remember, he's up on the fourth floor. So there's, you know, there's quite a bit of distance between me and him. And it's white and it's round. And I'm thinking, man, did he find himself a snowball that he froze in his refrigerator? And now he's going to throw it at us. What's going on? I couldn't see. It was kind of dark. And, and he's kind of far. And so I'm looking at him with my vice principal. And all of a sudden he throws it at us. Now I see, you know, I, I was kind of an athlete back in high school and college. And I see it's going to miss me. So I don't move. But I watch it. I watch it as it falls, and I can tell that it's taking shape. It's, it's round, and it's white. And as I'm watching it, I watch it fall to the ground, and it impacts the concrete, which to me, a snowball would then shatter and just, you know, melt away. No, 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 this thing ricochets off the ground right into my mouth. Bam! It was a golf ball. Bless the Lord. <laughs> Oh, my soul. At that point, anger <laughs> began to well up inside of me. My vice principal grabbed me, and you can tell on Adam's face, the plan had failed. His goal was just to miss us. However, he did not realize the concrete was going to ricochet the golf ball into his dean's mouth. I'm furious. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, Max, I'm so sorry. I'm going to bed. And all you hear is this sound of this man, this young boy, running through the halls. Because he is afraid. And I am angry. And I'm standing there, and John's holding me. He's like, it will be okay. I was like, for me, it will. For him, it won't. <laughs> we read Scripture and it says in your bulletin, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. That's found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. I find that a very interesting scripture. Here's why. Solomon, one of the wisest men in the Bible who ever lived, wrote this. And he said, train up a child in the way he should go. And for any of you that have had children... This may be a text that you hold close to. A text that you hold on saying, may the Lord grant me this wisdom that I might train up this child in the way should go. The Hebrew word for train there can actually also mean dedicate. And it's a very interesting thought. Dedicate up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he won't depart from it. Oh, that's a great text. I love this text as an educator. Because here at CVCA, that is our goal. To be co-laborers with you as parents 
and as churches to train up these children. Because I know one of the biggest goals for the Parkwood Church, because I realize how much money you sacrifice to CVCA to continue to help your young people be trained up in the way they should go. And I want to say thank you. It is a great, great challenge to be able and sacrifice to be able to give to that point so that our young people can see Jesus. It's interesting, I was sitting there and we were counting how many kids go to CVCA. And whether your child goes to CVCA or not, it's great to see young people. I love hanging out with young people. And I had the, we were getting ready to pray, and all of a sudden, three little heads peek around the corner. And they come running in and give me big hugs. It's kindergarten first graders. you got to love them at that age. By high school, they're like, yeah, what's up? They may not even acknowledge that you're here. And it's so awesome to see our young people in our churches train up in the child in a way should go. Train up a child. Well, obviously, Adam (laughs) didn't get trained up right because his parents should have taught him never throw a golf ball at the assistant dean and the vice principal at 1 o'clock at night and hit the concrete and hit him in the face. I was raised a pastor's kid. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. My great-grandpa was a missionary. Train up a child in the way should go. So obviously, me being a minister and a principal of an Adventist school, my, well done, Mom and Dad. Thanks for having me. But we hear sometimes the pastor's kids are the troubled ones. Huh? the ones that may be running out. We hear the story where we just read about Samuel. We know Eli struggled with his kids. And actually Samuel did as well. Train up a child in the way he should go. Well, obviously they didn't get that message. Because they were not evidently wise enough to train their children in the way that maybe they were trained. Train up a child. Turn with me in 1 Samuel. Excuse me, not 1 Samuel, <laughs> Judges. Judges, not even close to 1 Samuel, but Judges. Chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. It's a very interesting story. You may have all read the story of Samson, one of the judges of Israel. And as with Samuel's parents. Samson's parents were not able to have kids. And you read the story before we be going, you read the story where she's praying for kids. 13 verse 2, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord, verse 3, I'm reading from the NIV version. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel 
from the hands of the Philistines. Now, in the Old Testament, there was the Nazarite vow that any person could take. It was where he, in, in, in the Old Testament, was mainly referring to men, would grow out all his hair for a, a length of time. And at the end of the vow, he would shave everything and sacrifice that to God. But here we see the Nazarite vow taking to the length of a man's life. It said, never should a razor touch his head, or should he drink wine or fermented drink and eat anything unclean. Then Manoah, and this is the prayer, I believe, of every parent or every church member, and I'll get to that because don't check out of the sermon if you don't have kids in the school or if you don't have children because there's a, there's a dual application here. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent, us, sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. What a prayer. What a prayer that we as parents should be praying. Father, give me the wisdom to train up a child. I remember we had a brilliant idea. I was 24 years old, 23 years old. And we were hanging around people who had kids. Now, I want you to know, if you hang out with people, if you don't have kids of your own, and you're hanging out with people who have kids, it looks like so much fun. Because you usually see them at their best. When they're at their worst, they leave. It's time to get up and leave whenever you see people take their children out. It's not because they're being happy, usually. It's because there's other things happening. And I remember hanging out with this family, and they were friends of ours, and they had this wonderfully cute little girl. She called me Bia uh, and Kiki, my wife, Cartini. Bia and Kiki were our names, and she would run and see us and hug us, and I was like, man, this kid thing is awesome. Cartini. Let's have a kid. She's like, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Nine months you have to prepare. They have books on this. You know, they have what to expect when you're expecting. Nowhere in the book is it after they expect the thing that will happen is that your life will end the moment the child comes into existence. Your very being is changed. They don't have those stories. They have all these wonderful things, many good. Everybody tells you the nice things, and sometimes they tell you the bad things, but you don't believe it because you see more of the good than the bad. And I remember at 23, when we, were, we got pregnant with Benjamin, I ran running around the school going, I'm pregnant, and I wasn't pregnant. My wife is pregnant. I was so excited. And then, you know, month by month, you find out, you know, the different, and it has, like it had a heartbeat, you see on the, the, the ultrasound. And then you can begin to see the shape, and you're not quite sure what it is, because I'm not a medical person, and I'm looking at the screen, and they're like, look at it. Isn't it awesome? Can't you see the fingers and toes? And I'm like, I can't tell the difference. It's, it's there. You just tell me it's good. And I remember finding out the sex. You're going to have a boy. I'm going to have a boy. Yes, I will. I will carry on the Maxon name. You know, and I'm sure it was the same for Samson's parents. They were so excited. And they prayed that prayer, God, send us that messenger to train us, to teach us how to bring up this boy who's to be born. 
And it happens. The angel comes back. And they offer a sacrifice. And you can read the story there. But then verse chapter 14, and if you've read the story of Samson, you know what happens. Samson obviously did not get trained right by his parents. Because he chose things that he wasn't supposed to. So obviously his parents did not train up the child in the way they should go. You know, I'd love to stand before you right now and say Adventist education is the foolproof method of keeping your child in the church. But it's not true. With every story of success where we see our young people walking out of our schools, graduating and going to college, and graduating and becoming successful people in the community and active Adventists, I can tell you just as many of the flip side of that. Where young people walk out disillusioned, not knowing where they belong in a church they don't know what to call. It's the, the dark secret we don't talk about. Not many ministers walk up and stand here and say, oh, look at all the failures we've had. But it's something we must realize. Because if we want to sell others the bill of goods, we can. But reality will strike. And when something happens, and when that child turns, they will look for reasons why. I'm sure Samson's Parents were the same. Where did we go wrong? Why didn't the angel tell us this, this, and this? You could probably be Adam and Eve sitting there looking at their fallen son. Are you kidding me? They were half a breath away from perfection. And their two sons chose two different lives. Well, obviously the parents messed up somewhere. I don't want to ask, did they? Because just like children, God has given us choice. That at some point, we have the ability to choose. And the reality is, when we read the story of Samson, and you read that prayer of that parent, the father, saying, God, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who's to be born. What if I told you? What if I told you if you had your kid in an Adventist school that they would go to Stanford or Harvard? Would you think about it? What if I told you if you had your kid in CVCA they would be accepted into the Naval or Air Force Academy? and serve our country, wouldn't that be awesome? What if I told you, as members of this church that sacrifice funds to help subsidize CVCA, that if you did that, if you paid one more dollar, one more kid would have an oppor opportunity because of how good of education we're giving, that they would test out and get a free ride to college? What if I told you that by going to one of our Adventist schools, that the likelihood of you participating in binge drinking would be 6%, and if you go to a public school, a senior graduating, it's 70%. What if I told you 
all of these different things, would it change your mind? I cannot guarantee results with CVCA. I can't guarantee that if your child goes to CVCA, that when they graduate and when they graduate from college, they'll walk back into a church and become active members. I can't guarantee you. But what I can tell you is we might increase the chances. Why do you think Samson's parents prayed that prayer? God, train us. Because we want to increase the chances of our child being in the church. That's what it's about. I would not be here, and please don't get me wrong, if you have your children in public school, I am not judging you. Please do not walk out of here going, man, this sermon was not for me. That is not what I'm telling you. We all have reasons why we do things, and, and by the grace of God, it might be to have your child in there. But what I'm saying, church, is that we as a church have to realize that it takes a community to train up a child. When I stared at my son, newborn, he sat there, and Godfrey, you're blessed, you have three, sweet Moses, son. They have that newborn, Jacob. And hearing his, Jacob's older sister tell the story is amazing. If you want an awesome story, ask her. Ask Jenna, hey, tell me about how Jacob came. It's a good story. But I remember looking at my son and then the doctors and nurses, everybody's happy and they're all excited and then your parents and grandparents come in and cousins and nephews and everybody's excited about this little thing and you're just great. And the nurses are there and if it starts to cry, you look at the nurse and everything. And then about two days later, they hand you this wonderful bundle of joy in a car seat and they put it in the car and all the nurses are waving goodbye. And I think if I was ever a nurse, I'd be like, oh, what you don't know is about to happen. And I remember getting home, and we, we took Benjamin out of the car seat, and we had all of these plans set up. He was going to eat at this time, sleep at this time. He was not going to be in our bed. He was going to be in the crib the whole time. There was going to be this. This is how we're going to wrap him. He's got to be swallowed, because that's what everybody says. The book says never sleep on the back or the stomach or the what. And I don't know the side. It's awful. I don't know what's happening, but that's what the book said. And I remember having all these things set out, because I wanted to train the child I'll stay behind here. There we go. Now I'm stuck. <laughs> I have ADD. This is going to kill me. All right. That's why I walk around so much. And I remember staring at my son, realizing the impact that he was going to have, the responsibility as he walked into my life. He didn't walk. He was born. Church, do we pray this prayer for our new believers when they come into our church? Church, do we pray this prayer when we go hand out glow tracks? God, give us the wisdom to know how to train these people up. Because it says you must be born again. Scripture says that. 
In other words, church, it's just not about training up our children. It's about training up our church members. When we have new believers that come into the church, are we praying that prayer? Are we constantly watching them? Are we guiding them? Are we hovering over them? I remember the first night my son slept eight hours in a row. I was up every two hours looking at him going, are you okay? Like, are we doing all right here? Because he had trained me (laughs) every two hours. Go get him and I'd give him to Cartini and then I'd fall back asleep. Do we do that? Do we constantly check in with them to see how they're doing? Do we make sure they're nourished? Do we make sure they're fed? Do we make sure we're cleaning up what messes they leave behind? Because church family, we're about to have an evangelistic crusade. You guys, this afternoon, you all are, some of you, hopefully many of you are going to go and meet and do a -a glow-a-thon and pass out glow tracks. That's the hardest thing for me to do. I'm a very outgoing person. But for me to walk up to somebody, I have no clue who you are, and look at you and hand you this thing, I'm telling you, it's weird for me. And I like people. But are we worried about them? Or do we just celebrate the moment they get baptized and walk in our church, and we're like, sweet, we're done. (laughs) But are we? Train up with a child in a way should go. Church family, I think it's broader than just looking at our young people, which I believe passionately in. I think it's about every new believer that walks into our doors. That we are to pray the prayer of Samson's parents. God, give us the wisdom to know how to raise up a generation of believers. Because it's about building of the kingdom. As I said before, I don't care if you're son or daughter is at CVCA. Yeah, I would love every single child to be there. I, that's, that's my job. I wouldn't do it if I wasn't passionate about it. But it's bigger than that. I want to know that when we get to heaven that I used every opportunity to share Jesus with others. That wasn't about just who came into contact with me at the school, but it's who came into my church, who came in contact with me in the store. Train up a child in the way should go. You know, when we read scripture, it's hard to realize the impact that we have. Because it seems so much. You know, like I said, when I stared at my son, there seemed so much that I was responsible for. And it is true. We are that responsible for every person that walks into our doors, church family. And I'm speaking to myself because it's so easy to fall into the habit of coming in and sitting in your pew. Let's be honest, we got them. I have a pew in my church. If I don't get to sit in that pew, it's weird for me. My pew's in the front. It has to be because of my ADD. If I sit in the back, I'm gone. I don't hear the sermon. I don't hear anything. I'm like, there's a squirrel. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) But we fall into (coughs) the habit. And we forget to realize and to stop and pray, God, lead us to those people that need us to help train them up so that they may not Depart from it. A couple weeks ago, I got a phone call 
in the middle of the night, my grandpa passed away. He was a missionary. He was a pastor. He was a conference president, a union president. He had served God. And I remember a few weeks before that, him talking to us. And he was 95 years old. And at the age of like 89 or 90, he stopped pastoring. Until that point, he was interim pastoring for the conference. He spoke Spanish, and so he'd go and help the, the Hispanic churches that would lose a pastor, and, and he would be the interim pastor. And he'd also help other ch small churches. And he would go and do that until he was like 89 or 90. I hope to be just coherent at that age. I don't know about working. Please, Lord. And I remember my first grandma passed away. And he got remarried a number of years ago. And he became the caregiver because she, she got sicker and sicker. And he became the caregiver. 95 years old, he was making meals for her. He was helping her get around the house. He was cleaning up. He was doing all that. And 95 years old, this was what he was doing. He was make, Grandpa never made meals. When we'd come over, Grandma made meals. We were scared if Grandpa made meals. He just knew how to burn toast. He always ate burnt toast. Never understood why. <laughs> and I remember on the phone, he said this. He was talking to my dad and, and me. And he said, hey, I'm going to start making sandwiches for lunch because he was making hot meals for lunch. He said, I'm going to start making sandwiches for lunch. This is 95 years old. This man said this. He said, I'm going to start making sandwiches for lunch so I can spend more time in the Word. Because I want to be ready if someone comes to me. That's what he said. 95 years old, he's worried about the time it takes to cook a meal because it's taking the time away from the word. Lord, bring us a messenger that we may train up our child in the way he should go. That's what this is. We are to spend time in the Word, and we, I mean me. We've got to know it, church family. Because if we don't, we're not going to be ready when that infant is born into our world. Where that new church member walks into our church and stares up at us and says, show me the way. Father God, Grant us the peace and wisdom to know how to train up an army such as this. Because rightly trained, the end will be here. And we will hear those sweet words. Well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, bless this Parkwood Church. Bless those that go out this afternoon and do the glow-a-thon. And as we prepare all area churches for this evangelistic crusade, as we prepare for the building of the kingdom, may we not just celebrate the moment of rebirth. 
May we continually walk beside the new believers that will come in to our midst. And also, Lord, bless the little ones in this church. Whether they come in contact with CVCA or not, they do come into contact with these wonderful believers. And they may take up the mantle, train up a child. May we dedicate that to you. In Jesus' name, amen.